Hello and welcome to episode three of Kneeling Not Standing. I have to remember to talk here and look there, but I'm joined by Jay Byrne. And Jay, uh, you've been a footballer, professional boxer. Uh, you're promo- you've obviously done promotions and stuff like that, a promotional manager within boxing as well. A man of many talents. You have your own gym here, which we're actually sitting here in Supreme Altitude. Thanks very much for, for coming on. And uh, yeah, looking forward to hearing your story. Thanks for the invite, Paul. It's a pleasure to get a get a shot on your podcast, which I'm sure will become very popular, following from your Irish football fans' page. I'm sure. Yeah, hopefully, let's see what happens. Um, but so far, enjoying it because a lot of the time I'm just sitting back and I'm just kind of hearing what people have to say, and I don't really have to say too much. And when I was looking around, I know Kieran, Shadow Kieran, Boxing Bands has uh, done a good few interviews with you, and I always thought the interviews you've done were very good, and you always have a a good thing to say, and you're very honest and raw, and you don't seem to give a shit. Which yeah. is what I like, and is why I was like, you'd be perfect to get on. Yeah, no, it was a, it was an honour to get asked to come on. To be honest, uh, yeah, look, I've always had that kind of an attitude. It's kind of some people don't like it, some people do like it. You know, a lot of people have texted me after interviews I've given and said, uh, "That was a brilliant interview. Great to see how honest you were, or how raw you were about it." There's other people saying, "Geez, you should have held back on saying that. You should have held that." But again, I'm not, I'm not one to hold the punches when it comes to. Speaking the truth, I mean, my if I have an opinion on something, someone asked me an opinion, uh, that's kind of an answer, honestly. I'm not going to paper over just to protect people or, you know, yeah. I am what I am, I say what I say, and like it or lump it. Yeah, but well, I think that's the best way to be within life, within everything. So, um, I suppose we'll, we'll get right into it from the very start and just tell us what life was like growing up, and then we'll kind of go into your story of how you got into football and then on from there. Yeah, growing up, typical young lad. Uh, I was a bit of a mess growing up, wasn't I? It was kind of always. Weren't we off? I was always fighting. That was really my thing growing up. I was always fighting growing up. And uh, if it wasn't school, it was out in the road. It wasn't out in the road. It was a football. It was on the football pitch. It was always fairly quick tempered. Kind of came from the upbringing, I think. My old lad was fairly fairly angry, kind of aggressive, kind of fell if I done that wrong. I got a thump. I didn't get sat down and spoken to him. I got a thump. So. Kind of led from that's kind of where I went with it down the road. I've obviously over the years I've matured a lot more, and I'd be, I'd be the complete opposite now when it comes to that end of things. Like, you know what I mean? Or even with my own two kids, I, you know, I'd, okay, you might have to give out to them every now and again, but I'd never raise my hands around like that. That would be my style, like, you know what I mean? Uh, but it's definitely how I we kind of got into boxing, was, you know, I, I kind of naturally took the boxing. I would never be the most technical or the most talented boxer. Still wouldn't be. I never will be. But <clears throat> I was always aggressive. And even if you look at me fights and my styles over the years, it was always an aggressive style. And that came from growing up. Someone asked me, someone said something smart to me, I hit them. I didn't ask them why, I didn't say answer, I just hit them. That was just my way. It was stupid of way to grow up, to be honest. But that's just that was just what was in the way I was. And I, as I said, it came from obviously my upbringing. <clears throat> The way I was with me awful if I'd done something wrong, got a thump. You know what I mean? And I suppose that was probably most nineties kids growing up. To yeah, be honest. yeah. We were all we all got a clatter. Because you know, you were allowed depends on how bold you were, yeah, but yeah, you yeah, were you're allowed to be young lad a clatter back then, <laughs> now you'd be yeah. a guard, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so no football again I wouldn't I started playing football as, when I was a kid. I started out as, as a goalkeeper, playing for Lockton Sound Boys and gradually worked my way up. We ended up going to Bally Brack. Again, I grew, grew up with a good bunch of lads. A lot of the lads were on the same team. We went to school together. We came right up through the schoolboys together. I was never, I was never really dedicated like 
football was never my life. I never really was like, oh, I, lo- I, I loved football, don't get me wrong, but it was never like, I never ate and slept football. You know what I mean? I went trying, I never missed my trying. I done me play, my matches, and I gave everything in the matches. I always was like that, but I was doing something else the next day, or I was, you know, I got into snooker when I was like 11 or 12 as well. And I just, I ended up playing for Ireland and that, and I went away with, with, with uh, the club and things like that. And I played snooker at a fairly high level, I was like number two and three in Ireland at 14, 15, 16, while I was playing football, you know what I mean? And uh, I was quite good at the football, I, you know, I was captain uh, a couple of teams I played for, won some trophies and medals in uh, the DDSL, some player of the years and stuff like that. Played a few games with the DDSL team and that. So I kind of would have been decent at, at the fo- at football, but it was, I was focused on the football, I enjoyed it, but like when I was 15 and 16, I didn't care about going out for having cans with the lads on a Saturday night when I had a match on a Sunday, so I wouldn't have been the way I would have been in my latter life, where if I fight camp, 100% goes into the camp and I don't, I don't deviate away from it, yes. that's it. And I wish I had this attitude when I was a young fella because I genuinely think I could have went on to bigger bigger and better things, mm. you know. Hindsight's a wonderful thing, is this? Ah, exactly, that's exactly, exactly it, like, you know. Um, I went into, you know, I played football, I went on a little bit of boxing, I went down again, I think it was some younger brought me down to Monkstown Boxing Club and I, I think it was more to try to calm me down. I got into a bit of trouble when I was 16 again fighting and I ended up uh, hurting a fella quite badly and uh, he ended up in a coma. And at 16, you know, like when you're in the cell being told that a fella died because of what you've done to him, you're kind of panicking and worried sick again to this day. It was a self-defence moment. but. Because I was quick off the hand and I was able to fight and I was able to handle myself, I done more damage than I should have. And I still I forget that to this day because I wish it didn't happen because it was a, a nasty time in my life for a couple of years, with, you know, with family and his friends and that. You know, you'd be walking through the street and you'd be getting chased by lads in cars or bars or buttons and things like that, you know what I mean? And that went on for a couple of years, you know, my missus got held up, who I'm still with today. She got held up a couple of times by them, you know, and threatened and that. But again, the fella and his friends came to my house and they said you cannot be hauled door. I opened the hall door told them to go away they stopped me from closing my hall door and he wanted a fight and he got a fight and what happened happened that's my and, and I, I think everyone knows now publicly that's what that's what happened but at the time it was i stabbed him he done this i didn't he was never hitting a weapon around he knows that they all know that but at the time you know rumors grow because of the damage that had happened anyway he, he did come around and everything ended up all right and i never faced charges for it because i presumed they, the guards looked at everything and realised that it was in my house and the only way they could get to my house, it could happen in my house is if they came to my house and whatever. So again, that was another, you know, it was a worrying time and it was again, it was the aggression shown again that fighting got me into trouble again. And even now, I was only with my wife three months at the time. You know, she was, she was only 15, I was 16. You know, we're still together now, 24, 25. You know, so I was lucky she stood by me because to be honest, without her, I don't know where I'd be. You know, she, as much as the, she put up a lot of joy from me over the years, but she she's the one who's kept me where I am, like on the straight and narrow. Aye, because but like I mean, I, I couldn't live it out, or like I couldn't, and I've made stupid mistakes over the years that I should have lost her, and I didn't. And hopefully, hopefully today, or not today, hopefully for the rest of my life, hmm. but today onwards, she'll witness that and she'll see that, and she knows that. I think she knows now that I have done a big leap in my book, even in the last few years, and that. The rest of her life will be the way it should have been from day one, rather than the hiccups along the way, you know? Yeah. But my uncle brought me down to Monkstown. I think it was, at, it was just after that time. 
and it was just, I think I would say him and my dad obviously spoke or something that was to try to keep get me maybe into boxing or get me into something to maybe control the anger and the way I was and uh, went out to Mumstown and again I got stuck into it and I like everything when I get stuck into it I get stuck into it at the start you know, you're focused on it you're stuck into it and I started boxing I done a, I think I think I done the Dublin the Dublin novices I, I think it was, I went away first actually I went away with a little representative Irish representative team like I went to Wales I went away with an Italian fella, Elia Cassandro, was his name. I went away with him, I went over to Wales with a with a, an Irish little selection team and went over there, boxed over there and uh, I won. He won, he knocked the lad out a few seconds as well over there, we had a great crack, came home and I think that was like the November or something. I only been down there like six months or something. And then the December, if I remember correctly, was the, or it was the December and the November, it was the way around. It was a month in it anyway, because I was only back when I was training for him. When I went in, I was at Dublin Novices. I was 18 or so. And uh, I got to the final, and I was fighting. Well, I don't know who he was. To this day, I don't know who he was. But I broke my hand in the final. I threw a punch, and I remember I break. I was in bits at all. But I was, like, I think I was 19 at the time, or 18 or 19 at the time. And I was like, probably on about 600 quid a week as an electrician, as an apprentice, as a tourist or whatever, but it was like back in the building, it was 2006, 2007, or whatever it was, and money was flying. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was probably earning 600 quid a week and broke my hand and handed a cast for four or six weeks. I'm not doing that anymore. I said, no, the work, losing a fortune. So I just knocked, jacked the boxing on the head. I was only doing it for the six months. Like, and uh, that was it. I just said, well, I'm not going back to play football. Because I kind of got out of playing football when 80s came. And, uh, so I went back, I was going back, it was, you know, I went back and I played, um, play with, I think I was with like Lockenstown or something, just playing in the Lens of Senior League, low Saturday Leagues, whatever, with my mates. And I remember I was uh, playing one Saturday, and I think it was Jay O'Shea that was, Pat Devlin met Jay O'Shea to have a chat with him. At the time, Jay would have been, I was 19, maybe 19, 20. Mm, he's playing over in Australia now. Yeah. Uh, Jay, which at the time, Jay would have been like 16 or so, so I think Pat was trying to get on to Jay, obviously, maybe to get him to Bray or whatever it was, presuming that's what it was. And uh, it was up at Lock and Sound. Jay was up with a, with a friend of ours, and he was watching the game. And that game, we were playing against Farm United, and I scored four. I scored three of the goals, or fairly good goals. And I remember then, went to my great granny's 100th birthday, I think it was, or 99th birthday, or 100th birthday, and Pat was there because Pat was related as well. We were actually we were actually related. Pat was Pat, Pat, Pat and my nanny were first cousins. And I was chatting to him and he says, Oh I've seen you a few weeks ago you we were playing and blah blah blah. And uh as a gay said, would you not be interested in coming up to Bray and get away from that shit Sanders man? I says I says, Yeah hey, don't mind and this was the start of November and I was like, Yeah look I said uh you're inviting me up I'd love to come up like yeah I said that'd be a dream to get back to playing properly and all I said I kept up playing I went done a bit of boxing and that and he was like right look well he says Pre-season starts in January, come up, so it's a grand, yeah. And uh, so I said, lockdown, look, I said, I'm going to just keep trying the way, just, I said, for, uh, till January, and I said, then I'm going to pray. And they were like, yeah, grand on water. So, so just a week later, I went down to train, it was an Astro Mumstown, and I fucking got the ball and I passed the ball, and I played the ball. I just made a step to the right, and my foot went down a hole on the Astro, and broke my ankle. And I had an ambulance gone off, cast up to the knee. But I was in that cast for the next uh, middle of November, right through till the end of December, or something, six weeks or whatever, seven weeks, whatever it was. College of Duty, Modern Warfare had just come out at the time. 
So the literally, you first one called you, actually called, called you before, yeah. So it was 2007, I think that was. I literally sat on my couch and on my bed for six, seven weeks, just having my food handed to me by my missus, sit, scoff and eat what I wanted, not being able to move, not being able to drive, not being able to do any exercise. And I just ballooned. Like if I don't train, my weight just goes like that. It's the same now. And I went up and up and up, and I was like, Jesus, it was 90 odd kilos. And at the time, I was probably walking around at 66, 67 kilos. I was a skinny little young like, you know what I mean? So I went to the pre season training with Bray. The first week in January, I got a fair, fair shock because it was in Captain Healy from Park and it was sprints and running and running sessions. It was an absolute shocker. We stuck at it, didn't miss a session. Stuck my head down. I just kept trying and trying and trying. I knew I wasn't going to get near the team. I was nowhere near good enough fitness-wise. Even if I was 100% fit, I still would be tough to get into the team. You know, you had Dane Massey in the team. You had uh, Webby in the team. Chris Shields, you said. Yeah, yeah Chris Shields there. They look uh, what they went on to do. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, there was Shane O'Neill was there, who became a regular in the League of World as well. Dean Fletcher, Nicky Bourne, Sam Keane. There was loads of lads there. There was even other ones there that I'm forgetting. And... Uh, like them lads are very good players. They were, ex- they were all only 18 at the time. I was like, they were only coming from 17s or 18s up. And yeah. At the time, I was 19, knocking 20. <clears throat> and uh, so two of them went on to look what they did with Dundalk, Chris Shields, yeah. and Dane for just for two exactly. Exactly. You know, there, that was, there was it was a great team. I played the futsal with Dundalk. I enjoyed the futsal. The futsal was deadly. I played yeah. on Saturday. Uh, Dane's father was the Paul Massey was the manager and we used to go play on the Saturday I, I loved that Dane was brilliant he was on the Irish team and all that so was Shane O'Neill and mm. Lloyd's brother was he? Lloyd was as well yeah <coughs> Lloyd was in the team as well actually um, so look I, I kind of knew I was never going to really get a chance but as I got fitter and as I got stronger I was getting fitter I was getting stronger and in training I was hitting the levels that I should have been hitting I just wasn't getting a look in to be honest and we were playing I played one we played a friendly against Joey's it was like a Tuesday or Wednesday night up in the Carlisle and I come off the bench with like 20 minutes to go and I played well I scored and I, I set two up I think or one up or like that and I felt I was worthy of a start against uh, UCD on the Saturday in the Carlisle I was in the A-League at the time remember he brought in that A-League yeah so like the reserve league and uh, I felt I was worthy of the start on the Saturday and I didn't get any time and I just said I have to I'm not doing this anymore I said, I'm a grown man, you know, I said, I'm not here to be, I know the lads are only 17, 18, they're, only, their dream is to be a footballer. I knew I was never going to be a footballer, you know what I mean? I, yeah, you were probably I mean, just doing it because you were good at it, yeah. I just liked that, I was good at it growing up and I was at a decent level, I just never really committed myself and I mm. said I would commit myself then, I did commit myself, this was May at this stage, it was five months of full commitment, everything I ate, I drank, you know, everything was focused on football, I never missed trying the whole on, I just never got a crack, I never got a crack, I didn't get a show and after the game, I made it clear that I wasn't going to be back. I said, I had enough. I said, uh, not that they would have cared, like, you know what I mean? Bray would have had many, many players and better players, so they didn't give a shit. But I just wasn't happy. And I was just walking out. Paul Massey said to me, um, You don't throw your hat at this. And I says, I'm done, Paul. He goes, No, you're not. He says, uh, I'll give you a regular. So I had, had a chat with Paul later, later on. He goes, Look, he says, uh, Just because you didn't work here, he says, Doesn't mean you won't work somewhere else. He says, You have put the work in, he says, and he said, uh, You will get a chance and whatever else. I said, I'm not going to get a chance here, though, Paul. And he goes, well, look, he says, would you like to go somewhere else? I says, yeah, if it was an opportunity, I said, I would. But I said, otherwise, I'll just go back and play Lens of Senior League or whatever. And he goes, no, no, he says, look, leave with me. So, to be fair to Paul, I have a lot of respect for him. I've always respected the man for as long as I've known him. He's an absolute gentleman, great football man. He, uh, he rang me, I think it was the next day, and said, no, it was that night. He actually, he said, uh, can you be in UCD in the morning? And I was like, yeah, yeah, for what? And he goes, I'm going to start training with him tomorrow. I was like, oh, all right, sounds yeah. So I went out to UCD the next morning, started training, but I went out there fit, and I went out there strong, and 
I actually felt I would have got into that team at the time. I know I would have got into that team at the time. I'm sure, team was on the team. Do you remember Birmingham? Uh, Ian Birmingham. Yeah, he was a left foot. I actually played against him. I think it was the week after in the training game. Like they mixed the team, two teams and we played against him. And I actually went really well against him. I was, they put me out onto the right. And I was playing on the right and I actually went by him a few times I put balls into the box and things like that. And at the time John Flood went out the week before me and he signed. So as you know UCD you have to sign X amount of scholars on X amount of pro contracts yeah. or whatever it is. He signed the last free contract basically. Spot basically. Yeah. So when I went out there I trained, I was out there for about a month and I, was play, I played a few of the friendlies with them and I played games and things like that and uh, I was actually doing well. I was getting game time and Martin Russell was there and I can't remember the, the man manager's name at the time, Jesus. Yeah. Um, I can't remember it. Kills me that I can't remember because he was an absolute gentleman. He called me over one Sunday and he said to me, uh, look, we're very happy with you. He said, uh, you work great and he said, and all is excellent. He said, um, but I don't see it as a striker. He said, I see you as a winger. I said, we'll play anywhere. He said, put me left foot, put me in there. I said, I don't care. So if you're willing to give me a chance, I said, wherever you want me. He goes, well, he said, that attitude alone is worth a chance. He said, uh, yeah, he said, will you go down to Martin? He's going to go and get your paperwork sorted. So I was like, yeah, I really appreciate it. I was buzzing, I was delighted. Actually, I was really delighted. I believe in tears in the eyes and all the time. I'll never forget it. I was in the UBCD, uh, just outside the train, you know, I was very strange. Darn for sight, that were out there at the time as well. So I went down and um, down to Martin. I said to Martin, uh, I was come down to get uh, contracts or something to get signed. And he goes, yeah, yeah, hang on. He says, I just need to get uh, a scholarship, the paperwork for scholarship. And I kind of was like, scholarship? What's he on about? And I was kind of sitting there, sitting there, and he came back and he goes, he has loads of paperwork around this, Jay. He said, it's to do with the scholarship. And I says, what's that mean, man? I didn't have a clue. I said, what's that mean? And he goes, well, he says, you get your education here and all. He says, ah, man. I says, I'm qualifying as an electrician soon. He says, I couldn't be on the scholarship. And he goes, oh, fuck. He says, leave it with me. So they're in the boat and come back down to me. And then he says, Jay, look. He said, Floody took the last, whatever it's a pro, or whatever it is, the last contract yeah. outside of their scholarships. He said, uh, it's all we can offer you. He says, there aren't we can do. There's anything you can do. He says, oh, I says, that's a qualifying after Christmas. He said, there's no way, like. So I said, like, I said, I can't check an apprenticeship, like. They're like, we leave it with us. So uh, that was like, uh, I think it was a Sunday morning or a Saturday morning. And I remember going home, I remember, I remember ringing my mum and my dad. And I said to them, I says, well, what, what do you think I should do? My mum said, I don't know, he said, I think, she said, I think it would be a great opportunity. She said, be in UCD, like. She said, yeah, but I said, I dropped out of school in torture. So you're not going to pay before. Mm. There's no interest. I said, look, just about to be a qualified electrician. I said, like, was at the time I was probably earning about seven, eight hundred quid a week now. Yeah. You know, because in my fourth year, nearly about qualified. You know, I mean, then overtime and all that at the time. I was making a fortune with mixers and, you know what I mean? I was going to go back to college. I said, I never wanted to be in school. Financially, it wouldn't make college. sense. It just didn't make sense. Yeah. Like, and my missus was pregnant at the time for my second kid and we were living together and all. I was like, nah. So he rang me in the morning, he says, Anne, you can do, Jack. Oh, he said, there's nothing. He goes, well, he says, sorry, I hate to say it, but he says, I'm going to have to let you go. I was like, for fuck's sake. So that was it, dream was ended. I was like, fuck. And I did, I, I did feel I would have got, I would have gone well there. I just, I fitted in, I, I enjoyed it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, did, I enjoyed it. Tim was there at the time, what's his name? Played for Rovers for years. Uh, Finn. Finn. He was only young for that time. I actually remember yeah. one Sunday morning, he had to be beaten up in town. Zoya's now out here in the whole lot. He was only young, I think he was maybe 18 at the time. Yeah. Um, Around that time he would have been, yeah. Yeah, he was, yeah he, was, he was there as well in the team. Um, so yeah, that was that. And then I was like, oh, fuck, all I do was like, I'll give up football. I'm sick of it at this stage. Because I'd been like four, five, six months of not really playing. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. And then a couple of months before I had a broken ankle and the whole lot, I was like, oh, just give it up. And then, um, uh, someone gave me, I don't know, someone gave me Matt Britton's number. Someone rang me and said, ring Matt Britton. He's down in Arkle. He'd be interested in having you down. So I was like, right. He's the fellow with the carpets? Yeah. Yeah. He, he, he sponsors Bray now. Yeah, yeah he does, yeah. Um, him and his brother Craig. He sponsored, they actually sponsored me and my career, boxing career started as well. Okay. These three members in the gym and that. Two really, really nice fellas and their brother Ross is another one and Ian. I grew up playing football with him as well. Um, so yeah, I rang Matt and I explained the situation to him. He said, yeah, I'd love to have you down. So I uh, went down to Harklow, straight into the training. I was straight in, adopted this brand, played a few friendlies, things were going well. And I was putting a decking down on my balcony in my apartment, which was probably four foot wide by eight foot long. And I was sticking down the decking. And the last board needed to be like trimmed in half. So I got a handsaw and I had my knee on the on the wall as I was cutting it. And I chopped straight across my knee. I gashed about that size, about that wide. And I had to go to the hospital obviously and get it all stitched up. So I was out of action for like four or five weeks with that. And I remember going back down, the league had started two weeks into the season. It was the Lenza Senior one. And the league had started, and Matt had a great team together, a really great side together, and they were tipped to go and win the league, which they did get promoted that year. I think they might have won it as well. And uh, the league had started, his team was settled. Went out and got back training, didn't play this Friday, didn't play the next Friday. Uh, he said to me on the Friday, Look, I'll go down and play tomorrow for the second team. He said, I need to get minutes under your belt. I was like, Yeah, I went down. It's playing for our club town, and we down to play our club Celtic of all the games to go down and play. You know, Saturday games usually go down and have a kick about, you know, yeah. just get minutes under your belt. Went down there, it was like, so like playing Mean Machine, you know, like the film. Went down, I went down a pair of white pair of Vapors, and at this stage I adapted to being a winger from the UCD time. And a pair of white pair of Vapors. Went down during the brand new. Yeah, the ones yeah. with the big long blue tick yeah. on them, but they were like a soft material on the yeah, outside. Yeah. Yeah, you wouldn't on. like getting stood on with them, yeah. No, I went down, I've like, come off the pitch, I did with my eye closed, a bump on this side of my head, a gash on this knee, my boots were ripped, we got absolutely kicked around the place. We said to him, holy shit, he's asked if I told you, but you know what I mean? It was like, I was killed on the pitch. No, I done well, I, I, fucking, I did do well in the game, I know I done okay in the game, but I was kicked off the park, I was like, holy shit, man, because I would have been a quick quick winger at the time, you know yeah. what I mean? And, oh jeez, every time I got the ball, chop, kick, you know, elbowed, going for a header, you were getting elbowed, you were getting flying kicked, it was madness it was. So I was right there, and a couple more weeks passed, and I played 15 minutes here, 20 minutes there, and I just said to him, man, I'm finishing work. I'm leaving to drive down to Arklow. I said, it's, it's for what, like, I'm not playing. Like, I said, I understand your team's picked. And his team was winning. So I didn't deserve to be in the team. You know, I would have probably been in the team if uh, that injury hadn't happened because I was playing well yeah. in the preseason. I was like, ah. So I just rang him and said, look, I'm going to call it a day. And he goes, ah, look, he said, if, if you insist on it, but he said, look, it is a squad game and etc. cetera. I said, nah, look, man, I said, there's too much traveling down to Arklow. I said, to not be playing. And he said, no, look, I understand. So we ended up going down to Tech then, play for Tech. Really enjoyed my time it's at Tech. Nogan, isn't it? Uh, Strabuk. Right. Uh, really good. A new guy had gone in, Alan Reynolds, uh, took over. He was uh, going on, we got on great. We did, we uh, really got on great. But at this time, at this stage, I had been pretty much a year, because I couldn't time for Tech till the 1st of December. I had basically been a year of not really playing football because I'd been out injured from the November the year before to the January. Then January was a recovery pre-season, kind of get my fitness levels back. I was fit by April, kind of May, I was playing a couple of minutes here, a couple of minutes there. Then I went to UCD, I played, played games there, got minutes under my belt, but I was dedicated, I was 100% dedicated to it then. There was nothing else, it was football. And uh, I went to Tech and I was super fit. I was absolutely flying. They were in the same league as our club. 
and I went in. Alan was taking over. Very time the same time I went in, he he took over, and I just we hit it off. You know, he brought in some new players, some experienced players, and the whole lot. And uh, I went straight into the team. Played every game, played every minute. Absolutely loved it. Uh, you know, I was scoring goals, playing on the wing, I was scoring goals. I was assisting. My work rate was excellent. Like I was just literally up and down that wing all day long. I die hard. I was like. A tackle and head. Mm. I never pulled out nothing. I was tough for you know, and I gave everything I had for Tech, and I really, really enjoyed it. Really, really enjoyed it. The chairman at the time, I think it was Brian Cleary was the chairman. He was he's a high up role. I think he was the chairman. He's actually a member of the gym now. An absolute gentleman. Um, the respect I had for him, the respect I had for Alan, the whole staff, the players. I really, I just loved it there, and. I got so dedicated and so I wanted to win. I just would never. I can't afford to lose a game of FIFA. I lose a game of FIFA. I smash joy pads. I lose the head like I scream the house down. You know what I mean? That's just the way I am. But everything, no matter what it is, even if it's only a mess around or something, I have to win. Yeah. Playing Astro on Tuesday night, towards now, I said the lads hate me because I just scream the head off. And if they're not working, the lad doesn't track back. I lose the head. That's the way it was. Mm. So I was a tech for a good year, year and a half or so, and we were playing Crumlin United in I think it was the Metro or the Intermediate, and Alan. Rested a lot of players as the manager does, and uh, I lost the plot. I lost it. I was like, "What the fuck are you doing?" And I was sitting on the dugout. There's five, five or six of the regular players sitting there, and I was snapping. It's, it's coming United, and the best team in the country at the time. Mm. You know what I mean? I don't want to play against these teams. I want to play. I want to. I wanted to compete with these teams. I didn't want to just, you know, go out make the numbers. I wanted just to compete with them. They're in the league above us, all. You know what I mean? I, I felt. I was good enough at the time to compete with anybody and I wanted to get out and play against these teams and I was fuming, I was sitting there, we were tuning down after 20 minutes and I fucking lost the head of it and started screaming so what are you doing? Like I said, will you put fucking someone's arm or losing the game and blah blah and he came back as he's entitled to do as a manager, him to shut the fuck up and he did and then I lost the plot back and made a bit of a burn he was like, I just not go fuck off and I walked down the team, that was the end of it, it was, to this day is the reason I never went back, I just left, just walked out. So that was the end of the football? We tech it was. I walked out. I said, I don't know. I was fuming. I, I just hated losing, and we were being beaten so easy. I understood he was rested first, but my opinion is, and it's still opinion today, if you're a footballer, if you're a boxer, if you're, you should be out to play every week. If you can't play a game every week, there's a problem with you. It wasn't as if you're Champions League football now playing league, league, Leinster in the league. If you play with something, a Friday night, you, go yeah, you can't once give, a week, anyway. give it up, man. Once a week, like you know what I mean. You should be well conditioned. And I, don't, I don't understand why he was wrestling. So I couldn't. And to this day, I do understand, and you know, managers and title they want them title rest players and all. But I feel if you have players, okay, you might rest some players. Some players might not be able to do it every week. You might be carrying on some like at the time I was in the fittest condition at that time in my life I'd ever been, and. I wanted to play. I wanted to play every game. So probably throwing the toys out of pram because I didn't play the game. But on the other side of the coin, I think anyone that was like me at the time and was dedicated like me and really wanted to win every single game would have understood that, you know, well he's entitled to feel like that. That's mm. he puts it in every single week, every week. So if he can do it every week, he should be entitled to play every week. You know what I mean? Yeah. Unless I wasn't good enough the week before, fair enough, throw me out. Like you know what I mean? But yeah, I ended up leaving then and I went. The, that was again. It was the, the old November seemed to be the months that pop up for me all the time because mid season again. Uh, Greystones were in the league. Greystones had like three points at the time. They were struggling badly. They had lost all their team because they'd been relegated from the top league the year before. So Richie Hanlon and all them lads um, left. And they all went up to Wayside. A lot of them did anyway. Um, so they were struggling, and I don't know how that came about, but I ended up going to Greystones and. My mate came with me, who I grew up with. He came with me. Gary Murphy, 
who was after leaving Joey's, I think finishing Joey's 18s at the time, centre halves, a good player as well, Gary ended up the captain down there. He came down. We ended up staying up. We ended up getting to like 26, 27 points. Actually ended up beating Heck in the last couple of games of the season to stay up, believe it or not, how it works like, you know. Um setting Greystones for four or five years, loved that as well. Really loved Greystones. The manager as a home, as a gentleman, all the players are great friends, they're still great friends, and um, really enjoyed that. But coming to the end of that, I uh, there was an accident, there was a couple of young lads in the area that had an accident in Thailand, they came off a bike and one of their eyes was banjo and people were talking about raising money, fundraising and things like that. And I got chatting to one or two and I said, yeah, look, if I can help out, I will, I do something. And I said, look, <clears throat> maybe run a white collar event. No, I'd never really done boxing, I'd done it for six months back when I was 18 or whatever, so I said, look, I'll, uh, I'll do the fucking fundraiser, to run a boxing night or whatever, be, you know, we raise a few bob, whatever else, so. I I actually had got into coaching. Sorry, we were going back a bit. I had done a bit of coaching when I was sixteen, right through in football. I started coaching under eleven team, very back when I was sixteen, seventeen. And I coached them for two or three years and then I was over for a bit. But at that time I was I had all them young lads that I had coached and a lot of them lived in my house in the state and things like that and they were all what do you mean? What do you mean at this stage? So these were the lads that you coached? Yeah, you know, as kids, and they'd all grown up now at this age, and they'd right, grown so up. So you had a reason then to... Aye, so I had a, I had a yeah. pot of lads there that I knew, if I said lads were taking up ballet dancing, half of them would have said, yeah, come on, we'll do it. If Jay yeah. says that's good, that's what we'll do. Because the lads would have had a lot of respect, man. Even now, like, I was at a stag there a few weeks ago, um, just a local team, and uh, a couple of lads I coached walked in straight over, but you point, sit down, which massive respect for them. There's, there's lads that I coached when they were 11, you know, are 28, 29 now, and I've got them jobs in my place, I've got them jobs in all companies, I still have relationships with them, I still get on very well with them, they're, they're very good friends of mine still, you know, I have a lot of respect for a lot of them young lads, and they'd be the same with me, you know what I mean, this yeah. son will still text me and ring me now, you know, um, I remember there was one young lad, he went over, was coaching, when he went over to Charlton on trials, and uh, he was getting bullied over there by the English, you know, typical, you paddy, you this, you that, the other, and he was ringing me nearly every evening crying, because he was, didn't know what to do, he was just upset, he didn't want to be there, he was homesick and the whole lot. And uh, he didn't end up working out for me coming home, but I think he ended up thumping on them, you know what I mean? He was a tough young lad as well. Uh, another young fellow went over to Leicester, trial again. He asked me would I go with him? Because he was worried and panicking about going over. It was kind of the way the lads were at me. Mm, I, I, I was really close. And, and I think I've always said this, and i said it in interviews before. I think when you coach, if you can do it, what you tell if you can do what you're telling them to do, it's easy. Coaching is easy. You know, you don't have to be the most talented to do that. But like for instance, when I was coaching them at eleven, when they were eleven, I was sixteen and seventeen. I was playing football at a decent level. So if I was setting up to do something with them, like a shooting drill, you could be assured when I was shown on that drill, I put the ball in the net. Yeah. You know what I mean? I wasn't no disrespect to fat outlets, but I wasn't a fat outlet standing there with smoke in my hand saying, do this, do that, yeah. do this, and they're looking going. Do five laps. Yeah. You know what I mean? I wasn't one of them. Everything I told, I would never have told someone to do something that I couldn't do. Mm -hmm. And that was the same when I went into boxing coaching. So with the, back to the charity thing, I, I called on a lot of them mates. I called on lads I was playing football with at the time. Craig, who actually owns a gym with me now, um, he as well had a fight on it. And we ran a charity event that was a six-week training, and the lads uh, fought at the end of it in the noggin in, and uh, raised a few bob or whatever. 
But then at the end of it, the week after, because I got back training, the lads, all them young lads would text me, Jay, what are we going to do now? Like, you're still doing the training, are we still going to have to train, and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, no, it's over, lads. We're going to playing football, and I was like, fuck off. Like, yeah, yeah. So they, oh, they were, they were, yeah, they were still contacting me and texting me. I said, you know what, fucking maybe I'll have a look at this. So I did, I went and looked at setting up an amateur boxing club, and I'd done that, and I set up a boxing club, and because I'd been out in crumbling a few times at Monkstown back in, when I was a young fella, I kind of touched base with Philip Sutcliffe Sr. Yeah. And he gave me advice and stuff like that and he welcomed us out. So I had a handful of lads, my brother, my sister, my sister was a kickboxer at the time, but she came over and done the boxing. My brother had done the white collar thing, Craig, uh, there was a fella, Sean, Cody, there was probably 10 loyal lads. So we just started building. Then we got premises that we rented from a kickboxing club and it just grew. You know what I mean? But again, even the boxing, <clears throat> Holding the shoulder was something that I wasn't able to do, and I wasn't a boxer. But I quickly kind of got myself into the coaching side. I'd done a couple of coaching, go ABA coaching courses, and the whole lot. And I watched a lot of stuff. Like you know, I self-taught myself because I had to for the camp and that. And I always would aspire to myself to get a gauge of where they were at and stuff like that. Again, I wasn't still not talented a boxer, but I was enough to be able to get in with these white collar lads and show them things and show them where they're making mistakes. And that's what I done. And I just gradually took that approach and. I went from the amateurs right through, <clears throat> won a few Irish titles, coached, well, coached a few Irish titles, you know, my sister won an intermediate title, she won an under, elite under 22 title, she won intermediate Leinsters, you know, um, I got Carl Kelly through three rounds of the intermediates, oh, I didn't get him through, he got through, but we got together through it. Um, I actually had a brief stint with Kelly Harrington, I trained her for one of our seniors where she was giving up and she wasn't doing it, she came down to do a bit of training in the club and it was into December and I said well, why are you giving up she said she'd lost interest and her heart wasn't in it she enjoyed the training and well, you know I had a bit of a chat around the training I actually ended up getting her to get her head back focused and I put a month's training into Kelly <clears throat> met her up in the track up in Kilbogga done some track work with her arranged her spar went out to Mulhudder sparring the likes of Dylan Tang and that she sparred with Carl Kelly and stuff and uh, we went into the seniors and she won the seniors um, that year which Kelly was giving up then, and when I look back now, see she's just going to win the Olympic gold, and that you know, <clears throat> it was great because thankfully she didn't give up because she's after winning a gold medal for the country, yeah, for herself, and she's that must be satisfying for you at the same yeah. time. Yeah, look, I'm not saying she would have never give, got back in. Yeah, yeah. But, but the fact that you you even played a part, a very in the story small part, a little bit, yeah, yeah a very small part, yeah. and you know, again, Kelly's dedication and all at the time was excellent, you know? But again, although I helped Kelly, Kelly helped me because I learned. A lot from watching Kelly yeah, yeah. and watching what she was doing and watching the way even stuff she she used to make these little shots, <laughs> these little green shots and whatever they're full of vegetables and all like that. She drank them, and, you know. I was always like, oh, "Holy God, what's that?" And the whole lot. But then afterwards, now when I'm in my box, I've done things like that. And that you know what I mean. So mm. again, that was that was that. And then I kind of I started boxing in when I was in the club because I went out to a June show to bring the lads out to Phil for his June uh, bank holiday show. And Shawnee Carton, God rest him was there and I got to meet Shawnee that night uh, but his, he was supposed to box on the show Shawnee loved boxing on every show and his opponent had let him down and Phil said would you get in with one of my coaches so I was like not the fuck I don't box I said I just trained the lads and he goes ah he said you'd be grand you can get in he said it's just a coach you know it'd be, it'd be only exhibition so he said the brother give us your gear and I got in with Shawnee Karen and I boxed Shawnee and I actually boxed pretty well that night um, for somebody who did box at the time and Kind of led from one thing to another. That was the June. The next show I get in. I was always sparring with the lads, so I always just kind yeah. of had a little bit of fitness. And the next show I got in. The next show I got in. And 
all of a sudden it was coming to near the end of the year in the Dublins. There was the, it was the first October festival was happening. Remember Peter Barry and the AVA run the October festival? I said, fuck it, I get into the Dublin offices. So I put myself in, my brother in, my sister in, and Craig, and four of us went in. And the four of us went in and won them. So that was really satisfying, you know what I mean? Um, it was really good. So about three weeks after that, the Lenther year three novices were on. The year ones weren't allowed. I said, fuck it, we'll give the year three. That was anyone that was boxing three years, go get into them. So we said, we'll be slaughtered, but sure, we'll go into them. And we got two golds and two silvers. And that, again, massively satisfying. And um, the all the novices were in the January. So I said, fuck it, the four was away into them, too. We got on them. And we got into them. And the four of us got to the final. And the four of us lost in the final. I actually lost to Alan Duffy in the final. You know, Duffy, yeah. who ended up going pro. Uh, I look, he beat me fair and square. But that was really my amateur boxing. That was it. Like it was a six month period from not putting on a glove really in bar the six months I had when I was like eighteen mm. to now it's what was this? It was probably twenty six at this stage, twenty seven maybe. Yeah. Probably twenty six in the June and probably turned twenty seven in the October or whatever. And what happened then was I got an email. No, I got a message on Facebook from a fella from the UK, from London, and he was asking me had I got a team of boxers. And I go, I, I was never a boxing man, as in, I was still a football man. Yeah, I was still yeah. playing football this time, you know, and for grey zones. And I never, I never went to watch boxing. I never knew any boxers. I never knew anybody in the boxing game. Like, I would have barely known who the Olympians were at the time, or who, I just was no interest really in the boxing. You know, yeah. I would have watched all the big fights, I'm telling you and all, but I wouldn't have been interested yeah. in amateur boxing. I didn't know anything. like me now. Yeah, I just didn't know. It wasn't my thing. You know what I mean? I was football at the time. I didn't, you know, I had no interest in part of six months I had amongst them. So, this fella contacted me, was like, yeah, we have a team of boxers. Like, oh, send me the weights. So, always fucking all the lads in the club, put them all down. I said, lads, you might be going to England and clubs that they're asking us over. So, we can't run to your man, because back will have a match for this, 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 blah, blah, blah. How much do you want for coming over? And I go, what do you want for coming over? What's this lad on the And I said, what do you mean? And he says, well, he says, obviously, it's going to cost us, but how much? And I says, oh, where is it? And he gave me the date. It was in Croydon. London, yeah. yeah London, Crystal yeah. Palace. It was there, in yeah. uh, Fairfield Halls. It's a big place. Uh, the Beatles actually played it back in the 60s or 70s. Big place. So I was like, what you mean? And he says, well, I can bring you over and they put you up. And I was yeah, just pay for our flights and accommodation, but we'll come over. We well, didn't know anything about horses or anything at the time, you know what I mean? I was thinking it was an amateur. Yeah. So <clears throat> there were six or seven of us. We picked up, told the lads, lads, we're going to London this day, everything's paid for, blah, blah, blah. Lads are delighted. We go over with the vests and the headgears and all, thinking it was an amateur. We got there, weighed in against these fully big grown men. And half of our lads were 17, 18, <laughs> skinny little whippets standing on the scales. And I went, oh, mother of God, these lads are huge. And uh, we weighed in against this lad, Rodney Supper, Rodney James, I think that's the name, the kickboxer. So down, down we went. And we actually did well. I can't remember the score. Doing very well. I, my fight, I was beating your man. He hit me a kick. Then he hit me a knee. Before you end up getting stopped, there was carnage in the place. We evacuated out of the place and escorted out and all that sort of madness. So, pretty good trip, very enjoyable. But it was like semi-pro, unlicensed. Yeah. It wasn't fucking. Well, I made sure the lads were egg gears and their things. Anyway, it looked a bit chilly, but it was what it was. Probably a bit of experience. Come home. I think that was in March. Came home a month later. I got another message on Facebook. I've got your contact from Dean. Croydon wants to know can you bring a team over so at this stage we tweaked that it wasn't amateurs so I just said to me core group of lads I said look at lads this lad wants to go over fight over here so this would be more like the pro stuff though 
He's in Glasgow. Yeah! These are young lads getting a free trip away, mm. loving life with their mates. They thought this was the dream, you know? Didn't give a shit about the amateurs at this stage. Although we were still training and still, mm. you know, going to club shows and things, they didn't care. They wanted this. So I was like, great. Your man's name is Pete Stone. Became personal friends in Arthur. So off he got. A five, team of five lads. Off he got. Went over. I was fine. Cal Kelly was fine. TP Brother Glenn, Kieran Kenny. And not sure of the other one. There was another one. There was five of us. And uh, we went over. We beat them 5 0. And we won, me and Carl won two belts to win Foreign Nation semi pro belts or whatever they were. Delighted, love them. Like, coming home with these belts. The belts were all over there in the corner. It was like if we WBA belt, this was. We couldn't plumber up that fuck. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? Especially because you, you kind of got into it quite late. Yeah, again, and the belt had no meaning in the boxing world. But to us, this was like, yeah. what the fuck have we just got? Like, you're going to the club shows, you get a little medal around your neck at the end after your three rounds, and well done, it's a draw. And we're going over there, there was like, Thousand to fifteen hundred people in the place. It was in a big nightclub, lovely flashlight, proper ring walks, you know, proper fucking thing, lovely small lace gloves in your pro shorts. This was to us, this is what boxing's about. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And that grew, that just like literally took off. Like he wanted us over three months later, we went over. I think the next time we won eight two, we got ten over. We we went over like four or five times and they put us up put us up in the pay the fights and put us up accommodation and stuff like that. So it was great. Did you, you know click I mean? the purse thing at that stage? No, I, I knew, I understood that. But what I did say to your man was, look, pay our flights, pay our accommodation, and we're happy. We still cost them a few bob, you know what I mean? And he'd yeah. pay for. I know in the end, on the last one, Tommy, Tommy McCormick come over as a cutman, and he paid for Tommy to come over as well. You know what I mean? So mm. it was well respected. Like we collected a few belts and all, but we went into some fights, like some good fights. Like, but it's very funny because a lot of the fighters that were on that scene have gone pro now. There's two or three of them that were in MTK now. You know, yeah. your one Lenny, man, Lenny Fuller was was with him. He was in the final of that thing against Stephen Donnelly, the boxer competition, the box Stephen Donnelly beat him and he was on it and there was another lad Draper. There was a good few of them that were actually ended up on the pro scene as well. So I was still doing the amateurs in the background and we still had all the kids coming up and I mean, all that stuff and this was taking off for us. So this was when were we fighting? When are we fighting? Every two, three months we knew we had a proper pro fight. Like this was a pro fight. Like like I done eight rounders, I done ten rounders. Um but what happened was because we were coming over we bringing teams they were selling the tickets so easy over there. But the war got around. So then I got a phone call from, um, what's fucking Lee's name? He said, no, he held an Irish title. It's from Leeds. Jeez, here's this now, he'll be disappointed. Can't remember a second name. Lee Morden. Um, won't be disappointed anymore. No, he won't. He, he contacted me as well. Jay, have you got matches for this, this and this? And it was very funny. It was me, my brother and my sister. Just the weights, the ages, the, the, uh, the weight and the experience. Yeah. So away we went, went over to Leeds. It was Garford Town football teams it was an outdoor was on the pitch it was lovely like fighting in a little stadium it was just a ring the ring in the middle and you know around it was Sunday afternoon shop he paid us as well we got a portion of that one my brother and sister's phone was pulled out it was only me but it was for a, one of his titles now remember he was one of the titles for his opponents same in the last shows but we were coming home with the belts which made it that little bit better you know what I mean um, one another little belt over there um, at this stage, I think I had like three belts and four belts at this stage, which again, they mean nothing in the boxing, but to me, they meant a lot. Yeah. Because you're always going in in the away corner to their shows, a thousand, fifteen hundred people there screaming against you, and you were the one winning and taking home your belt and that, you know what I mean? And some of the fights were wars now, to be fair. Um, done that, went to Malta, fought in Malta on Demise Thomas show uh, over in Malta in Monte Cristo. Um, Palace, whatever it's called. Another great show. I actually stopped over there with a body shot. But 
this stage it was just flying we were rolling with it we were fighting we were basically fighting like pros it was every three four months you had a pro fight basically the fights were six rounds eight rounds ten rounds you know and then they were tough brought Carl Kelly over to Liverpool he fought a ten round European fight against a kickboxer lad and uh Jesus, Carl Bambuz would have put him out two rounds of body shots, but this lad was like, he looked, he was not not hard to be taller than Carl, but he was a good six to eight inch taller than Carl. He was ripped to the bone. Carl was standing there, like, you know what Carl does on the scales. He doesn't look ripped to the bit, bits around like that, but he was standing there beside me. I was going, oh, this could be a mismatch. And Carl went in and absolutely took, it, took the fella's body apart and stopped him. Again, it was in Liverpool, it was in a big nightclub in Concert Square. It must have been a thousand people in the place. It was the night McGregor fought Aldo. Yeah. And uh, so twenty fifteen, like I mean, there's the body shots, the power, and the body shots, all oh, man. But he got handed a lovely big huge belt again. That would be for the golden boy of this fella's promote promoter. You know what I mean? Um, so that was another great night. Again, magical memories for the likes of Carl. My brother beat a guy for a belt as well. My sister did. My sister fought a uh, English copper, a girl, and a six round war. Tommy McCormick was there for that. Craig fought for a novice title against another fella over there, he be him. So over the course of like two years, we had picked up probably five or six belts. Again, great memories. Them people will never forget their memories. And you know, it was great to be able to help them and deliver that for them, you know. At this stage, the boxing and the amateurs to me meant nothing. Me and my brother entered the intermediates to my sister as well. She won them. Me and my brother went to the intermediates. Me and my brother actually won two fights and we got beaten by a fella Mark, um, again I can't remember his second name, in the semi-final. He was a fella from the army, but he's well experienced and my brother was only like 17 at the time or something. Um, and that was it. That was that was it. The, uh, I didn't want to box amateur because I didn't like that whole tip run, tip run, you know, hit a punch, run away, hit a punch. It was I going over to the UK, a thousand people around the ring screaming, you're standing toe to toe with a fella having a war, there's blood, you know. It was a proper yeah. fight. And that's who me because go back to earlier where I said I just love to fight. Yeah. You know, sixteen-year-old you was loving like. I was love. This was the dream. Like yeah. you know, you you were getting basically paid. You were getting free holidays to go and have fights, so stand and having good scraps. You know what I mean? In the proper gear and you know the proper hand wraps and all that stuff. I was loving this. And coming back then, you go to an amateur show and you get him with a lad. He be tip, move, tip, run, tip, and going around the ring. And also an art, and I know it's a different sport in my opinion. Amateur boxing and professional boxing, I think it's totally different. You know, and I was like, done with it. No interest in it. Kept the club, kept trying all. And then I was getting this place, and when I was getting this place, then I said, I'm done with training amateur boxers, I don't want them in this place because this gym to me is. If I was paying the membership for her, the last thing I want to do is walk in and see a lot of kids running around throwing boxing gloves and screaming and shouting and all. Like, that's not where adults want to come after work. They're getting away from their kids after them. You yeah. know what I mean? They don't come here yeah. the kids screaming and shouting and all that stuff. So I just said, nah, I got away from that. Um, obviously, I had Carl and my brother and I had gone away, kind of, kind of fallen out of the boxing at this stage. And I still had Carl with me. And after the last fight, it was a March, I think, and Tommy was there. And I knocked the lad out, the lad from Portsmouth out in like 50 seconds. Um, it was a bad knockout as well, he was in bits. And Tommy said, would you not think about going pro? He said, that suits you way better. He says, well, what you trying? He said, they're sparing the amateurs. He says, which is totally different. He said, when you get into the ring against these lads, I said, the amateurs are all in, out, in, out. He said, I don't have that. So just come forward and fight. And he was like, right. He says, I said, well, so how do you go pro with it? But I didn't even know what the name of the boxing, professional boxing company was in Ireland or nothing. I didn't know how to do it. I knew who some of the pro boxers were. You know, because Deco, Deco's last amateur fight before he went pro was an exhibition with me. Um, we became friends. We had exhibitions 
two or three times on the Ninnogan in shows as the main event just to get the crowd and that Martin Wall was another one. Yeah. But didn't know who all these, you know, great amateurs were around the time. I didn't know anything about the pros at all. So I was like, ah, oh, whatever, Tommy. So we got home and Tommy said to me, no, look, I'll have a chat with Eddie. And I said, all right. So he had a chat with Eddie Hoyland and I said, right, yeah, we go, I got pro. I just followed the lads. Yeah, we go, yeah, we don't mind. Because again, I didn't give a shit. Yeah. It was March, definitely. So at the time, Frank Stacey was starting to run the shows. Um, the one that had Ricky Hatton involved in running the show and that. Mm. So I started training. I went pro. Again, I, I sparred Fitzy, Andy Fitzgerald, before the reasons he showed it was supposed to happen in the February. And it would be in videos being recorded. We had recorded, Tommy had recorded. Um, when I applied for my license, they said, what was your amateur career? And I was like, mm, I didn't really have one. And they're like, well, we'll have to see a spar. I was like, yeah, no bother. I said, spar, Andy Fitzgerald. And I said, any footage of it? I said, yeah, I sent the footage and they gave me my license. So, got my license and just took off then. I said, really? Yeah, go probably dedicated myself. Like, it was a 100%. I had my boxing gym, but I had a little, I had an open space. Yeah, it was that year, like, uh, but I had a little chamber, like a single chamber. Yeah. And I got everything in that. I got all my cardio and all my strength and conditioning. And I went out to Eddie every evening after work and done me boxing work and me training work and the whole I was like oh, I was an absolute chisel to death like I was in the best conditions probably of my life getting ready for that fight I was petrified because again I didn't know what to expect because I was gone from being amateur to, to semi-pro to now going pro I thinking wow these are all pros we're gonna get killed like you know what I mean yeah did not about it at the time and so um I had an opponent and he pulled out like, who he was I can't remember and the week of the fight my opponent changed. I was being fighting a lad that had seven wins and three losses. And I ain't breaking it. I ain't going, lads. He's won seven fights and only lost three. He's not be deadly. And Tommy was like, you'll look good beating this lad. I think Mark Dunlop actually matched the fight for Frank for me. And Tommy said, don't worry, you'll beat this lad and you're going to look good beating him. And I was like, ah, Tommy, no way, man. I was shaking. I got to the stadium that day. I sold like 150 tickets. Got to the stadium that day. Went into the high performance unit. I was sitting there panicking. I was like shaking. Sean Connor goes, "Who's the man you're fighting?" Like, no, shit, man. I'm Sean with a grown up in St Mary's. And I was like, oh, I don't know. That big, sexy. Yeah. Mm. I was like, uh, yeah, I don't know. And he goes, "He's too good for you to be fighting in your first fight." And all. who matched that? And blah blah. And so that made me worse. Mm. I was breaking Gabor Ambrose or something was his name. I was panicking as petrified going to the ring shaking and the whole lot got into the ring ended up knocking him out two rounds absolute debut from heaven couldn't have asked him the crowd was electric absolutely that was it I just at that moment I was like wow what a feeling what a feeling I could have retired right then my goal wasn't I went pro win a fight or two you know that was it I was absolutely over the moon then I um, Mark Dunlop had a show I booked into it, um, I got onto the show and the whole lot, and then my missus surprised me with a trip to Vegas, and it was like a week before the fight. So I got back on a Tuesday and the fight was on the Saturday, my 30th. We had three couples, and we all grew up together, we're all the same age, like, you know what I mean? So I was over there, and trying not to drink and trying not to eat, it was a fucking nightmare. Came back on the... It's like the total temptation. Yeah, it was just a disaster. Yeah. I did have a few drinks, I'm not going to lie. I did have a few drinks at the point, because it was impossible. But they were all sitting at the pool. And I'm in the gym looking out the window at them, yeah, running, yeah. you know, get doing training sessions every morning and all while they're sitting at the pool drinking cocktails, waving in and all. I was like, Mother God. And I did, I, was, I didn't enjoy the trip, to be honest. I, 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 
I did enjoy the trip, but I didn't enjoy it the way I should have. Mm. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it was an first time. Well, you enjoyed the gesture of the, what yeah, the trip was meant to be. Aye, and I did. Like I did. We had great time over there as well, but it just wasn't what it should have been. And my first time going to Vegas, my thirty and the lads and mm. all me in there, it just wasn't like raging over it. So I came back and we fought against Liam Griffiths, who was the awkwardest journeyman you'll ever fight. He had a record for it, never really got stopped. Where he just tied you up, tied you up, tied you up. But he was pipes, awkward. Got through the fight, won that. Said to the missus, booking Vegas, we go after Christmas. I said, no fights happen in January or February. So I said, well, it'd be March. So I said, we'll book the start of February. Give me enough time to back camp. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Book the flights to Vegas and the whole lot. Mark Dunlop at this stage, I think, had taken over as my manager. He did. Yeah. And uh, Tommy rang me and goes, is in around Christmas, he says, you let yourself back train straight away in January. So he says, you're fighting the first week of February. I was like, huh? Because I'm fighting the first week of February. I was like, no, I'm not. He says, you're a marker's a show. And he says, you need to keep racking up these wins. And I was like, ah, Tommy says, I'm going to Vegas the last week in January. And he's like, oh, for fuck's sake. He says, look, he done the last one, maybe all right. So typical me. So dedicated, yeah, 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 yeah. no matter. So accepted the fight. Actually, over there for Frampton and Santa Cruz, we part two. And uh, again, I, I did drink on that because I'm not fucking not drinking. And I just lose the way when I come back. And the fight was that middle way, and I came back and I blew through my holes for the two or three days to try to get the weight down. I still come in a bit heavy, and I fought. I went as I was warming up. Didn't I dislocate my shoulder? And I was like, fuck. Popped my shoulder out, got it back in, iced it. The ice was on it for like five or six minutes. Walked to the ring because it was still numb from the ice scram. Once I went in, I went to throw punch. Just like, oh, I so I basically fought the whole fight with one hand. Won, <clears throat> won the fight three and all. I had a date already booked for the 25th of February in the stadium against uh, the Spanish lad. He had that fight in Gerard Whitehouse. Said, uh, yeah, take that fight, no matter. Sergio Abad, I think his name was and uh, put the shoulder gone. So the next morning, to be fair to Andy Jennings, he gone to me, he says, you out of that fight, true. No, no, we'll be grand, we'll be grand, we'll be grand. And I was, I was, it did, it was okay, it wasn't too bad. But the way, I had gone from being whatever, probably 80 kilos coming back to Vegas, to get down to 72, 73 for the fight. Now I had three weeks to get down to 67 for the thing. I'd never done 67 before. I just told people I could do 67. That's the time I didn't know if I could or not. Yeah. I, I'd always done seven. I'd done 68 and a half, 69 for my debut. But it's like, yeah, yeah. So I got, the, I got down and hit the way four. I was drained in the fight, though, I remember. Um, won the, I won the fight four now. I got a phone call two days before that fight from Tommy saying, do you want to fight on Sky Sports? And I'm gone. Now you have to remember, this is a man that never boxed. Done six months then, novice boxing. Then I got into the amateurs, fought a couple of club shows, done the novices, whatever. Then I got into the semi-pro thing, gradually built up on that. Then I'd gone pro, I fought these journeymen. Okay, two or three of them were decent journeymen, two of them had winning records, three of them had winning records, I think. And all of a sudden I'm being asked to fight in Sky Sports, and I got me. And I was still playing football on a Friday night for Ennis Kerry, or for Greystones. Yeah. At the time maybe it was Ennis Kerry. At this age I might have gone to Ennis Kerry <coughs> in the management actually, I was in Ennis Kerry. It's Sky Sports. I was telling me, he goes, yeah, he says, yeah, it's all if you want it. And I was like, yeah, come on, fine. Not that I knew, because I didn't know anyone. Mm -hmm, yeah. And he was like, Felix Cash. And I was like, oh, who's he? And he says, oh, he's a good boy, yeah, he was on the Team GB. And I was like, fuck it, yeah, I'll take it, yeah. Don't mind. So this was three weeks later, because it was the 25th of February, this was on Paddy's Day in uh, York Hall. 
So I've done 66, so I've gone from 80 to 73, down to 66 or 67 for that one. Three weeks later, I had to be up the middle way, back to 72. So I was eating like a horse and getting myself back up, training the whole lot. Went over, went, uh, went over, uh, stood on the scales, I think it was like 71 and a half, 72, after having breakfast and the whole lot. He got on scales with 73. We had trained, we, we looked at his uh, GB, his um, World Series of Boxing profile, 5 foot 8, had him down as. So we were sparring lads about 5 foot 8, 5 foot 9. Got over there, Felix Cash was about 6 foot 2, he was 3 foot wide, built like a shit house. And I stand beside him, only a kilo lighter, but after eating everything I could for the last two or three weeks while training to be at the weight, still was lighter than him. I know he was so much smaller, I was breaking it. Breaking it because I remember saying to Tommy, I think that's him there. And Tommy goes, Oh, but he's that's not him, he's a fucking low heavy or something. I was like, All oh, right, man. Then he called us up to the scales, and up, off goes your man to the scales. And I went, Oh, no, oh, he was breaking it, absolutely shit myself, panic stations all over the place. And I ended up, I did what I did, I just fucking said, I'm gonna go. I remember I walked in the ring, I was breaking, I thought I was gonna be cleaned out, knocked out, battered, and uh. I got in and I just got in and I just done, done what I could and I was losing around, I knew I was losing around because I wasn't really throwing a massive amount. I was having a go when I could but he caught me a lovely 1-2 left hook, I think it was the fourth round and he caught me flush on the button with it and I was like, eh, hurt. And I dropped my hands down, there's a famous picture I have it on my Instagram, he picked your hands by my side, said, tell him to come on and I let her roar them in the middle of your call going, come on and I just seen him laugh, kind of smile, take a step back. I'd say he was saying his head, what the fuck do I have to do to get rid of this lad? Yeah. And I just went for it then. And I actually felt it done well in the last couple of rounds because I had no fear then. And that was it. That was like a light switch in my career that made me realise that I had a solid head. Solid, solid head. Now I always knew I had a solid head, but I had a solid, solid head. And I knew this was a big, big man. And I was like, he ain't hurt me. So got through the rounds. I lost the fight, clearly lost the fight. But with that much of a solid head, I think I broke both of his hands. Because he was out for like six months after, two broken hands, so that's how much he was hitting me in the head. And I, I wasn't that bad, I wasn't that marked up after the fight. So, got out of that fight. Eddie Hearn met me at the steps. Mark Dunlop gave me a big hug. Eddie Hearn said, I love that. He said, Brilliant. He said, Tough man, tough man. And I was like, I gave me someone on my own, so he's next, will you? And two or three days later, phone call came through with a fight, Josh Kelly. Again, who's Josh Kelly? So, yeah, didn't even, never asked money, never asked who, where, nothing. Yeah, yeah, no fight, man. Who is he? Tommy says, you're an Olympian. I was like, lovely. He says, he's not a big huge lad, is he? And Tommy goes, no, no, he's your own size. Brilliant. So said, well, that's grand. I said, he ain't gonna hurt me. I said, that big Asia couldn't hurt me. He said, he's not gonna hurt me. And Tommy, Tommy goes, well, that's one way of looking at it. And so we started looking at videos of Josh Kelly and he was slick and the whole lot. And he was obviously the pretty boy and the whole lot. So I just said, fuck him. He said, who the fuck's this lad? Big fancy fucking Nancy heading him. Well, he said, go over there and just rough it up and throw it at him. I don't give a fuck, you know this kind of thing? Yeah. So, Eddie and Tommy were like, yeah, yeah, just forward, forward, forward on this lad, you know, we won't take a back step, just put it on him, it's like 100%. So I went over there confident, because I was thinking, this young lad, he's only a young lad, he's only 19, 20, whatever he was, fancy, I thought he was a fancy little slick lad, not going to like getting a thump, he's not going to like getting pushed up on the inside, throw the head at him if I get a chance, you know, as fair as you can, but, you know, that's not really fair, throwing the head, but when you're in there, you know, give him a little nudge, throw elbows when you can, that's what you do in the programme, you rough people up, you do what you have to do. So, that was the game plan. Actually. I don't know if the box rec has it down as 4-2 or 5-1, but I actually took a couple of rounds off him. And again, another one that I didn't feel that off. Bar one body shot, he caught me the fifth round, and nearly went down, and I was on my way down, and I actually stopped, so I'm not going down. 
not going down and I stayed up and I held on to the end of the round and then I came out in the sixth round and that was it got through that one again and at that stage I was getting tired I could feel the wear and tear in the body I got home I had already booked a date to fight in May 25th in the stadium it was supposed to be against Gerard Whitehouse but the word was from his team that I wasn't a, when I lost to Josh Kelly I wouldn't be a worthy opponent to fight Gerard for the Celtic title um, so that was basically that I had said well I'll just fight on the card anyway so I came back this was April the end of April myself and this have gone through a bad spell uh, I'd opened this gym at this stage I'd opened it in the November previous but you know the boxing career started in the June and then it just got going it was October and it was going away and it, it, it was the fight in October it was in Vegas in October it was open this place the end of October everything just kept crashing down on top of me I was working in an eight, an eight and a half hour in an office you know, in Ballycoolin. I was coming here at half five. I was training here, taking classes, leaving here at seven to get to Ballycoolin to go to work, finish there, leave Ballycoolin at half four or four, half four, go to uh, uh, Eddie's gym, train with Eddie um, and Tommy, train with them till six, quarter past six, get back here because there was private football teams coming in that I had to take from half six, seven till eight o'clock, half eight. I was getting home. Mrs was supportive as she could be, but enough of us comes enough at some stage. In my head, I was burnt out. Like I was physically burning the candle from every possible angle. And I was burnt out, but I didn't know because I wasn't saying no to I was yeah, 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 yeah. And I was taking fight after fight after fight. You know, um, I'd opened the gym, I was working here in the morning, working here in the evening, working in my job during the day. We were moving house at the time. And she was on my back. You know, I need help, I need help, I need you to do this and that. And I was just saying, fuck off, fuck off, fuck off. You know, I was throwing money at everything. Saying, there, just buy this, just do that, just do that, just do this, just do that. And I thought that was great, but it wasn't. It was how you lose your marriage and how you lose your life, basically. And that's what I'd done. And I'd done it all myself. It was my fault, clearly my fault. It was stupidity. I put everything before the person closest to me, the person that's been there from back when I was 15, 16. You know, I just threw everything in front of her. You know, through everything matter, accept it or fuck off. That was my attitude, stupidity. Yeah. And I did lose it. And then I lost her in around the March when I fought the cash. And after the Josh Kelly fight, I just went to the drink. Went out in the party with the boys, went to the, I was just out drinking. Still working, still working, still doing the gym in the mornings, in the evening, still trying, still accepting all these fights. But I was drinking all the time, you know. And uh, she was at home, she had the two kids, I didn't give a fuck. I didn't care. I just I was back home with Maz, thought I was like living like a teenager, thinking I was the fucking greatest man in the world because I was doing all these fights and it was great and everyone wanted everyone was interested in you because everyone was asking for interviews, everyone was asking you for this, everyone was asking but people were hanging out, you went to nightclubs with the pool, people kind of hugging you, shaking your hand, seeing on the telly last week, great, blah blah no, it's great, you lost. What do you mean great? But you were taken at the time thinking you were a fucking superstar. There's no superstar. And I would always say that the people in their careers, don't ever let it get ahead of you. And a lot of people say, ah, oh, it never happened to me. I never thought it happened to me because I didn't know it was happening. I didn't know it was actually happening when it was happening. Because I just thought, hang on, I get up, I go to the gym, I'm working. I go to my job, I'm working. I go back to the gym, I'm working. Like, this is all work, this is all income, this is all for the family. Sure, I was part of the family. You know what I mean? You can have all the money in the world, but if you don't have family, you don't support the people close to you, and you don't respect the people close to you, what's the money going to do? And it took me months to realize that, months. Because I took that fight in May 25th in the stadium, fought some journeyman, and I was drinking the week of it. I weighed here on the Sunday before the fight. Fight was at 71. I weighed here on the Sunday 80 kilos. And for five days, I had to kill myself just to make the weight. Walked into the stadium, stood in the scales, looked like a junkie. Stood there, absolutely drained. Finished that, went out, had a scoff, drank that night, 
went to the stadium the next day, fought the worst performance of my life, and that was it. I was finished boxing. I had no interest in boxing. Didn't give a fuck about boxing. And then Mark Dunlop came on to me and asked me to fight Fowler in September. But again, gobshite here. Yeah, old tight. Still wasn't with me missus. You know what I mean? I was out partying, summer, doing what I wanted. Come here, do classes, fuck off. There was nights I come back here and fell asleep on that couch. Because I was in bread, I was just going to set the couch because I knew I had classes next morning, so I slept on the couch. People were coming in to the gym and I was asleep on the couch, waking up to go in and do the classes. Ask my mum to get down and have a point. It was garbage, like absolute shit life. Shit life. But at the time I thought it was the best life. And I blamed everyone but me. My missus got the blame for everything, it was all her fault and it wasn't. She was the one who was trying to lead me the way she had all my life. But Morgan's hair just thaw. You've loads of money, you've got loads of fucking friends, you've loads of this. They weren't friends, they, they, you know, money comes and goes. But to me at the time, it just hit me the way it hit me because everything came so fast, you know, and uh, that was that. Got back into camp at Deco. I changed coach because I couldn't commit to the, I didn't want to commit to the whole go back to Eddie's place after what comes too far. Declan Gerrity's dad, yep. uh, Deco Senior, said he'd train me every day, five o'clock. Really great guy, really, 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 really lovely man, uh, personal friend, and will be for the rest of my days. I have so much respect for him. He said, Look at Jay, I'll train in your place. What time can you get there? I said, We're there for five o'clock every day. Wait, five o'clock Monday to Friday, I train That was it. So I started training here. So I was coming here at five o'clock anyway. So I was like, great, okay, I'll hurt someone else. I'll hurt someone else to work in the evenings. I came trained here at five o'clock in the evening. That was great because I was training at home. I don't know how many sparring here, I don't know how many training here. You know I what I mean? That's when I around the time I got to know you a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it was. It was in around that time, yourself and Kieran. Um, and that went, I went over. I thought if my missus wanted to come to the fight, even though I had been the biggest pig in the world, she still wanted to support me. And I was like, no, you're not coming because we're not talking, we're not getting on, blah, blah, blah. And we'll have carnage over there, so no, you're not coming. It's just me being a fucking idiot, to be honest. And Craig was supposed to come and he texted me like two days before and he rang me and said, look, I can't go. I can't remember, something popped up. He said he couldn't make it. So the flights are gone. And I was texting the ways at the time because I still text her. But then I was being a dickhead and I wouldn't actually mm. realise what well, I was doing like kids, so you Yeah, been. but even at that, I was still texting her kind of like we were together at times when it suited me, which is fucking yeah, yeah. idiotic, you know what I mean? Um, she should have just told me to fuck off forever, to be honest. I'm lucky she didn't. But... Then when it came to wanting to come to fight, no. And part of that wasn't probably because the lads, or she would have caused trouble. Because she wouldn't have caused trouble. She was not that type of person. It was me who would have caused the trouble. But it was probably because I wanted to go out with the lads afterwards. Because all my mates were going on. I didn't want to her there. You know, this kind of thing. But anyway, two days before I changed my mind, I said, I booked the flight. I said, well, do you want to come? Well, I won't be able to. I wouldn't be able to afford the flights. And I said, looking crazy. I'm coming. I'll pay the difference to, to change the flights. Come over. Oh, really? So she came over. And we went. I fought Fowler. We went out. We hadn't got a good night, again we did have trouble, again most likely down to myself and again everything was fueling still because we had never sat and actually granted everything and I just said to her that night, okay, can we stay here tomorrow instead of going home with everyone and we need to go through everything and see where we're at, what's going on. I said we need to sort this because so they said this isn't going to go on for much longer the way we're going on. So she reluctantly agreed, which I thank her for to this day. And the next day we had a good chat, went out for a meal, a really good, good chat, an honest open chat. And touch wood, to this day it's mm. it's been fucking a dream. Yeah, it's and kinda it's, opened your eyes a bit, yeah. I had to. I had to cop the fuck on. No, that meant that yeah, mean I mean. I just did, I just had to just really had to do it. We booked out we that was a Monday. Or uh, that was a Sunday. We said the Sunday we booked uh Disneyland Paris for the Tuesday, flew home on the Monday got the kids because we were supposed to go to Orlando with the kids in June with her we had a book a year in advance and me being the arsehole I was cancelled and said we're not going wasted all the money and all and booking it and all the whole lot we're gone they're moving that off sorry yeah. and uh, 
yeah, we booked up uh, Paris and we went. Again, it took a few months before we kind of got back to kind of where we were because trust mm. issues were gone out the window on her behalf yeah. because I had been a dickhead for all this these months and the whole lot. So, yeah, it was a long road, a really long road. And But from that moment, I realised what I had to do to change. And that changed me. And to be honest with you, to this day, I really feel that I feel I'm a decent person. I feel I'm a good person. You know, uh, the future will hold... I, I'm trying to repeat Taylor now. I may, I may have another fight after Christmas. It's, it's not a must. You know, I don't need the money from fighting. I never did. So mm. the money's never a thing. It's matter if I want to, and I do want to fight. Yeah. But if it's right. Yeah. So if the right staff are here, so it's not going to deviate away from my time from my family. If the family are happy, and if they're supportive, and if they're okay with me fighting, regarding, it's not going to jeopardize things that we have on holidays. Yeah. It's not going yeah. to jeopardize going out for food with the kids. Me being that an balance. Ar- yeah. yeah. Me being an mm-hmm. ar- agro fucking come to home and I couldn't wait and all like that. They don't need that anymore. They've had all that. Yeah. I've had my fun. Yeah, it takes a bigger man to realise that. And that's, it does, well, that's it. And everything now is basically focused on my family, kids, missus. That's it. I don't care about anyone else. The friends, things have happened over the years where, you know, I've had to, I've had to realise who my friends are. Some nasty things have happened over the years. You know, people say things and all that stuff. And it goes on. You know then when you're, who your friends are and who your real friends are. Because I know I could count on probably one hand who my really close friends are. Yeah. Now, the others were there at times when they felt they wanted to be or needed to be and stuff like that. And it suited them. Exactly. And to me, we all I know like who my close friends are. Yeah. I know my family are dynamite. They're absolute gold. I couldn't ask for better. They've, they're so supportive to me of everything I've done. They all come to me fights. They've, they've supported me through everything. Everything. And I realise now, I used to never go to family things. I was nursed. I was nursed. Oh, can't be arsed on that. She'd say to me, can we go to my niece's party or can we go to... No, I don't want to go to You go. And she went to everything on her own. I never wanted to go to that. I wanted to do what I wanted to do. Yeah. And it was never a medium, a happy medium. It was always what I wanted to do, we don't. What I wanted to do, I would do. You do what you want to do. Now it's not like that. My, my goal now is, I arrange the family things. I do say to her, we go over to your sister's and we'll get the kids a bit of food and we'll have a bit of this and we'll have a bit of that. And I don't miss family things. I go away with my family, my cousins and all. We go away together, we're in groups together. And that's just the way I am now. And that's the way I'll be for the rest of my days. And to be honest with you, I wouldn't be here today. I'd say I probably would have talked myself. That's being straight honest. If you'd have lost her? If it went on much longer, oh, sorry, the way it was okay. going. Because there was one moment over that course of time where I wrote notes that I was gone. I was done. I had enough. I wrote notes left in my mass. And I was done. I'd had enough. I went for a drive and I just, I bottled it, to be honest with you. I was gone though, I'd had enough. My, my brother was, my brother, I think my brother might have found the notes or whatever, but he was ringing me in. That was really, that was coming to the end of that summer. And I just, it wasn't me, not that person. Yeah. And I did, I wrote notes, I'd had enough. And so I bottled it, to be honest, I did, I bottled it. Yeah. Well, luckily enough, I would have went on. It would have, it would have ended up happening because. I only realised when I, re- I realised when it was too late what I was losing, and thankfully, still have her. Yeah, you know that's 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 really it. That's where I'm at at the minute now, and there's a lot. Yeah, more. but you seem like in in your life at the moment you seem quite happy. I know, like with your wife and stuff like that. And I know, look, so, social media can be look so different, but you actually look like a happy family yeah. tomorrow. I know you were out celebrating a wedding there recently, and yeah. I think your your daughter was going out and confirmation or something. Yeah, last week. Um, and you, it looks like things are, are happy and going well for you again, yeah. which I'm happy to hear, I'm happy to hear that, you know? Yeah, like it was, from the outset, as you said, social media, a lot of people think you're a superstar and you're living this brilliant, great life and people think you're worth millions and because mm. you're signing on social yeah. If they knew the money you earned and the money you get, half the people take deductions or people take what they take out of it and stuff like that, it, I never done it for money. 
Yeah. Every time I booked, every time I fought, I used that money to book a holiday. We just went away. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that was it. So they didn't make all the money people think you make. People mm. look at you and think, I'd be a clever man, business-minded and yeah. stuff like that. It's just a shame because we don't have, we, we're going to have to wrap this up in a sec, but we, we actually have a chance to kind of go into more of that where you obviously, you, you, you know, you hosted shows and stuff. You, you actually you know, build cards and stuff yeah. like that. And you, we, unfortunately, we won't have enough time to do it, but we might have to do a part two on it. But I look at your, your kind of story is amazing in that sense, kind of going, coming from nothing in boxing. I mean, you, you, you spoke about Kelly Harrington. I know you've had Katie Taylor in this gym. Yeah. You spar with Conor McGregor as well. I know he's not a boxer, but yeah. these are, you know, the world-class athletes within combat sports that you've actually made memories with, regardless yeah. of, as you said, you, you didn't get in it for the money, but you've made good memories. Yeah, and, well, and look, it's it's come at a cost as well, but well, it did, and that's that's the thing I always said. I never did it for the money. The biggest thing for me was memories, as you said. Like, I didn't want to just, you know, go four and all five and all six and all seven and all eight and all, and just keep fighting that level of opponent. The reason being, one, it's boring. You you know you're winning. You know you're going to win. Oh yeah, but it's a step up because this lad. You know, might have a winning record, but he's still a journeyman. You know what I mean? He's still getting paid to lose. So to me, that there's no benefit in that. I just felt like at my age, especially, you know, um, there was no point. It was it was pointless. So I said, no. Look, I want to have shots. And when I got the shots, I took them straight away. I didn't even ask who. I didn't ask the money because again, I never boxed for money. So the money never bothered me. If I got paid five hundred quid, if I got paid five grand, if I got paid ten grand, it didn't bother me because the money wasn't my end goal. My end goal was try get to the highest level you can get to in the sport to compete at and try to get something out of the sport and in return I got two belts you know and I defended one of the belts you know and I fought I think I fought for seven or eight titles out of my 19 fights mm. and so, you're on TV because even even that Celtic clash yeah. that was on TG Car wasn't it yeah the, no that was the last man standing competition the oh, one against Craig O'Brien but it was on TV though it was yeah, on TG4 and then you have said Sky Sports three Sky Sports by the TG4 uh, and I had a box nation mm. the Paddy Gallagher was on yeah, box yeah. nation so five TV nights okay they didn't go the way I wanted them to but it's still TV exposure something to look back at in years to come you know, a national broadcaster. Um, yeah, you know, it, it's, you know, the, I was in the, the headlines and the papers, big page spreads, when I won the titles, when I went over to Scotland, won the second title. And the great thing about the title wins and the memories I made were they were all done in the away corner. You know, a lot of people win titles, win Celtic titles, um, and they win the home corner against, like, see the Celtic title fight, my first title fight. I was so nervous coming up to that fight as well. It was going down to 66 kilos the first time probably in my life. Where I went growing up when I went past that weight, like I was going in against a fella that had a big name. You know, he was a great amateur, um, and he'd done everything right in his pro career in Jerry Whitehouse. And you know, I was the novice boxer that had gone pro, and nobody had me down to win that fight. By myself, my team, obviously, yeah. and uh, again I was in the away corner, and I was brought in to lose. You know, remember what I said earlier on about the six months previous to the fight, the fight was in December. I wasn't worthy to be his opponent in May because when I before the Josh Kelly fight, they said when I lost to Josh Kelly, I wouldn't be worthy to fight White Jer. Yeah. So to actually six months later, after losing to Fowler and Josh Kelly, get in and knock him out, that was that probably meant more to me than winning the 
actual title because I just felt you you would have been more riled up the fact that they basically wrote you off. They did, yeah. And uh, to be honest, everyone did. And look, they were probably right too because I think I ended that five five and three. He was seven and all. But yeah. I knew deep down I was just too big for him, too strong for him. It was, it was a man. I was a man, a grown man. I was 30, 31 maybe. And I don't know, he was, he was 20s, he was early 20s, I think. I just knew I was too big and strong for him. And even when I weighed in, I knew that day when I walked out of weighing, I said, I'm going to kill him tomorrow. When I was 66. I was lean. I was really, really tight, drawn, you know, to hit the weight. And when I went, I came into the ring the next day about 74 kilos. I don't, think he, I don't even think of his heaviest he'd ever be 74 kilos. You know what I mean? I personally think he could have done probably light belt there at the time. Yeah. It's height and it's build, you know. So, but that was a memory I'll never forget. Standing up in the ropes in the stadium and having all his crowd screaming abuse at me while I won't, after after I win the fight. And I had nothing against him at all. I got genuinely nothing against him. I actually reached out to him when I heard he retired and he was gone and he was out of sport. Actually, my heart went out to him because I just felt, you know, because it was pepped the way, or built the way it was built, and he was, you know, it was he was winning, I was losing. I was the journeyman that they had said coming into the fight. You know, I was. He, I think one of his interviews, he said I was only known for my losses, not for any wins. Uh, and so there was a lot of stuff like that they said. You know, and I took it on the chin. I obviously would have went back with stuff because, as I said, as you know, I'm straight straight shooter. So when I hear stuff like that, I'll come back with facts and I'll come back with answers. You know what I mean? Um, so I just felt he, I probably think, and I could be wrong, but I personally think when, when I be him, he felt he had to retire, he felt there was no way back because he was, he had to win the fight, he, 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 like him losing the fight, it wasn't just losing the fight, to him, because of being built the way it was and because of what people, people around him were saying, like it was, he wasn't losing, there was no chance he'd lose and so on and so forth, then he got knocked out. You know what I mean? So that would have been worse on him. So yeah. I actually touched out, touched out, reached out to him. I don't know, it was six months or nine months, maybe a year after, when I heard he had gone and he wasn't back training and things like that. I actually sent him a message and just said, look, hope you're keeping well. I hope all is good. I was going into the promoting and management at the time. And I just reached out and said, look, Jer, I think we could make a comeback for you huge. I think the Irish boxing uh, community would see it as something big that I've brought you back and I'm going to manage you now I, and manage you to a Celtic title or another title. I, I said I'd be willing to vacate my title if I can get you a Celtic title. Mm. I think so, I remember you doing that with, with Kieran. I think you did that. Yeah, yeah, I did. Like, and that was genuine. No, I never got a reply from him. And look, I've no, again, I've nothing against the guy. Like, I mean, is, the reason why he retired could be totally different away from that. But I just felt that that possibly was the, way, the reason why he retired, mm. you know, because he felt he you know where to go after that. Um, I did reach out, I was willing to go and try bring him back at the time and get him back and get him into a Celtic title fight and get him a title and build him up because he has a lot of, he had a lot of potential, he'd won medals in the amateurs and all, so he, he definitely had something there, you know what I mean? Yeah. But it didn't work out, you know, uh, that was one of the better memories for me, like that night was probably the best and I said after that fight it was return and I probably should have, you know, saying that I did go and win another title after that, but that would have been a nice way to go out, you know, because I've had a few ups and downs, really more downs probably after that fight then, because of kind of the Craig O'Brien fight, then I think I fought Paul Keane as well. Is that when you started hitting on the too much? No, the too much stuff was that year, that the, that was, believe it or not, that December was the end of the that year of my stupidity and madness, really, you know. Uh, mm. I had a great picture, it's actually only sitting on the wall of myself, Louise, the two kids, um, Deco. With uh, Deco's in it, um, uh, Tommy is in it, my brother Glenn's in it, and Eddie, 
who was my original coach, is in the picture as well. And uh, there's a great picture. It's kind of come full circle. Yeah, there, yeah, and I've actually got the tattoo on my arm of the night of when my two kids ran into the ring and I picked the two of them up and the two of them were in my arms. I have a tattoo of that. So, it's what I'm saying about memories. Their stuff that will never leave me, you know, that night will yeah. just never leave me, you know. It was, and to have the ways there, that night was big because it was only the September or the October yeah, when, when I went over to the Fowler for that we actually patched things up and got back together, which was probably the most, probably the best day of my life that we actually did get back together. Probably better than the time we actually first met each other because I said to you, I wouldn't be, I don't think I'll be here today if I hadn't got her, like, you know, man. So, yeah, that was that, you know. So, that's what I say, and if I could put it out there to any pros, like, you know, I know. I'm not someone to tell people how to go to go do their career, like, you know what I mean? Uh, but I have a lot of experience now in the game, an awful lot of experience, and I hope down the road when my career is completely over and I'm done and dusted, and I'm a lot more like I mean I'm a lot more relaxed and calm, and my 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 life is balanced and everything's balanced and all. But if there ever became room in my life after boxing to go back down the road and management and promoting, that's always been the long term goal since I kind of come back into boxing, mm. or since I come into boxing and since I went pro and. Because of what I've learned, like I've learned everything from, as they say, grassroots right up, like from lads turning pro to long, like bigger promoters, like even the Irish boxing lads. I've watched what they've done, um, the likes of Boxing Ireland and Stephen and Leonard and that, what they've gone through and the stuff they've done. I used to be close to Stephen and that, and I talked to him regularly, and he's told me a lot of the struggles they had, and I commend the lads for sticking at it and what they've done. But. I've also been around the Sky Sports scene where I've been over there and I've dealt with a few of their lads. I've done a bit of matchmaking for them at times, so I know how that kind of area works. Mm. I, I know You've about brought teams over as well. Yeah. yeah, and I know about management, managers, you know, different managers and, you know, good managers and bad managers and what you watch out for when you're signed to a group, to a management manager or a management company or that like that, you know, regarding courses and cuts and percentages and things like that. That's been well documented over the years with the Framptons and other things like that. But there's a lot of other people out there in the same that young lads go in, they think they're being promised something on the stars and yeah, they are getting what they're being promised, but they don't know that like 30, 40 percent of their cut is actually going to Johnny's back pocket when he should be really only taking maybe 20 percent. Do you know little yeah. things like that? So I do know a lot of that now. I've learned a lot of that. It's kind of like like football agents exactly. in a similar way. A hundred percent. And even down the promoting road, it's the same. Like with the, I've done the promoting. I mightn't have been professional, but the semi-professional shows I ran were as good as a professional show. They're on, they're on YouTube. Have a look at them. They're as good yeah. as any small hall show that's being done in this country. The production, you know, everything, the matchmaking, the the whole lot, the setup, everything was always done a hundred percent pristine. And that's why I wanted to go into the road. Okay, we didn't get this one, that one off the road. No, we maybe went to that another day of the reasons why we didn't get it off the road. Mm. That, but I know you're not happy with it, though. I know you're you're not happy with the actual. I remember you've seen a video. You're saying that the scene is on his knees in Ireland, yeah. like you know. I think it is on his knees in Ireland, and it is, yeah. and it's not fair. And I'll be honest. The two lads, uh, Leonard and Stephen, and Dennis as well, he's up the north with that, with boxing. They're, they're the ones that are really trying and trying to keep it going and the whole lot, and they're doing as good a job as they can do at the minute. But yeah, it's, it's very hard. It is very hard. And there's a lot of obstacles to like insurance, you know, to try to get venues even is, is, is going to be difficult. And then you do go to the likes of the stadium and they want like, it's like three and a half, four grand for the stadium. You get that and then insurance, I believe it's four or five grand now. So just to get the stadium and insurance, you're talking nine grand. Like work out the tickets you have to sell to make that money grant. Because yeah. although you sell a and ticket, then the payments for, for aye, but it's a thirty quid for a ticket. You know what I mean? But you don't get that thirty quid. Like the promoter doesn't just take all the money because the opponent has come out of that. You know the course, so like for yeah. the home fighter and that. So it's just very hard. It, it is very impossible, and something needs to be done. You know, it's 
it's not just I know the BOI of costs as well and they're they're they high as well, mm-hmm. but it's not only that, like it's it's everything now. It's it is really, really hard and it'd be great if you could get some of the bigger names into Ireland and start working and there is whispers of a few coming in now and doing a bit in the, in the south and it'd be great to see but it really hasn't gone anywhere. I know COVID's been in the last eight, eight months, but there wasn't really anything happened before that either. Yeah. So like people kind of think that's ah, only because of COVID, nothing's been happening. Not the, the lads have been trying their best and before COVID they did run a few shows and that and they were consistently running shows but there hasn't been a massive amount happening and it's probably two and a half, three years now in Ireland. Yeah. So, well, you know, that's something down the road. Hopefully, if it did, if it did get tidied up and it did make sense business-wise, that would be something I would love to go into. Yeah. You know, because that's, that's kind of something I'm going to finish off with. It's just kind of what is next for you because you, you mentioned that, you know, you might have one more fight. You're going to decide that. That's something between your family yeah. and yourself and probably your coach as well uh, yeah. to decide that. Then after that, you know, you've told me off camera that you might go into something else, podcast or something like that. So yeah. what's going after? I know you have a job as well. Yeah, so you're no, going to maintain all you that. You have to stuff. do stuff. You have to do something. Like, I mean, through the lockdown, I, I broke down, I think it was January. I broke down January, February. I was up at 98 kilos. I broke down one day in the bedroom to the missus. And I just said, I just feel useless. I feel like nothing, nothing going for me at the minute regarding outside of work and family I said I just feel like I've nothing there like I said obviously lockdown was there and you couldn't play Astro or football or anything like that because you couldn't do it like yeah but I was like I don't do anything I said like I was going out running at the time I started running all but my body was broke up because I was carrying around three to four stone of pure mm-hmm. shite I can system. relate to that the knees you know? to be yeah, so heavy everything hurts it was taking yeah. me four or five days to get over a 5k run yeah you know and the 5k run that I used to do and 18, 19 minutes was taking me half an hour, 25 minutes. You know, it was, it was embarrassing. I was actually so embarrassed. Totally relate. Yeah. yeah, and we had agreed that I wasn't going to be boxing anymore. Um, family, we just we had agreed that like I was done. I wasn't going to be fighting anymore. Um, and she just said to me, you know, I said I just feel useless. I don't do anything. I've no boxing. I've no football. I said for the first time in my life, I said I'm 34 since I've been five years of age. I've been competing. I said, yeah, it's not being a active, just going yeah. out for a run because I said, I'm not competing. I need to be competing with something. I'm just of a competitive nature. Yeah. And I, like, competitiveness doesn't have to be always fighting or playing football or anything like that. Being competitive to me is like achieving stuff, going like even in work, you know what I mean? Where my job is based on winning jobs and stuff like that. Like, if I see a job, like I got a job last week, it was given to another supplier, but we were, I was able to twist it. And get it over, and I actually stole it back from him. You know what I mean? And I got so much satisfaction. That's me competing because I'm competing against yeah. someone else for jobs and things. So it's not just always about fighting or kicking footballs or that. But at that moment, because of lockdown, because nothing was happening, I was actually depressed. I broke down. I started crying in the room. I just said, "I feel useless. I just don't know what to do." And Louise was the one who said to me, "So go back training. You need to go back training." And I said, "I just know where to train." And she said, "Well, you discussed with Pete about going out to Pete last year." She said, "Why don't you not see about going out?" That was actually March. That was Pete Taylor. In case yeah, and it was Pete Taylor. So I just texted Pete and I just said, "Look, at Pete, I was supposed to go out to you last year." I said, "Obviously, COVID and all that hit and the fight never happened." And uh, I said, "I was just wondering would it be welcome to come out?" And he said, "Yeah." He said, um, "I said, grand." I was, this was a Wednesday, and it was the day before Paddy's day. Actually, it was a Wednesday, I think. And I said, uh, "All grand." Uh, when will I start? Thinking he'd say Monday. You know, and I, he says, uh, see you in the morning at 11 o'clock. I was like, oh shit. <laughs> so off I went. And uh, yeah, it was probably the best thing I've done in the last couple of years regarding trying it because I just, I lost a couple of stone, brought the weight down a good bit, got back, got in sparring, and then I started going. Actually, sparred on day one. But uh, I got back at it and I got going. And yeah, it was great. It was great. Like, I really enjoyed it. But again, I'm learning more out there as well. Like, it's not just learning about the boxing, but I'm learning. Other aspects of the game, I'm seeing the, the bigger name lads, the Tyrones and the Garys and 
what they, what they do and what they're going through and you know in their camps and yeah, I'm witnessing a lot and I'm always learning I'm off peak like I'm learning so much when it comes to even coaching and stuff like that so in the future I would like to go into promoting and management if 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 it worked for me if it was right um, I've always said I'd like to do like a, a podcast similar to what you're doing yourself now I've said for the last probably couple of years if you, a few people have always come on to me and said I like your interviews you're very straight and you're very honest and you know, they're always good, you never know what's going to come next and the whole lot. I'd like to do like a podcast kind of thing like that, where it's truth only, it's it's truth and, you know, and people come on, they can ask you questions, you can ask them questions and about sports and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, we know, challenge each other sports. as well, yeah. Yeah, it's, you I'd know, say you'd be good at that too. You know, stuff like that, like, uh, yeah. just to get proper, to get stuff out of people, not stuff, I don't mean that in a bad way, like, just to, you know, to bring, yeah. to get people come to the table and talk and talk about sports and let them go into, into some detail of stuff and give, again, like, if sitting out of these podcasts, it's not always about just promoting yourself, like, I don't, I don't want to promote myself, I don't need to promote myself, I, I'm, not, I'm not doing that at the minute, I don't have a fight, I haven't got a fight coming up, I'm not doing yeah. this, to, I'm doing this, it's a pleasure to be asked to do it and, I wouldn't be coming on just to promote myself for a fight or promote my name to sell tickets around. People can do it, but to me, I would hope that someone may look at their career, they're in the same situation I was in a few years ago when my life started spoiling, when I took on too much. And I, if you could stop one person from going down the same road that I was going down with, risking losing their whole family and all, just to put, put everyone else first and to to think, oh, well, I'm fucking bringing in money from fighting from my gym or from my job, so you should be happy and accept it and all like that. Well, if you could help one person to save mm. their family, because not everyone would be as lucky as I've been, mm. you know what I mean? Or if you could help someone, that would give you satisfaction. If you could, and that's all, if I got that out of this podcast, I'd, I'd, be, I'd be delighted, just, yeah. again, just to try help someone, because you don't see it, you don't see it, you're sitting there, you think you've everything in the world, you think it's all gravy, you know, you're boxing at these big shows and you've just so much money coming in because of fighting, your new gym's making money, your job's making money and you think you're driving fucking sports car and you know, you think everyone's your friend and they're not really your friends but you know, you think you've all these friends and the whole lot and you're just throwing your family to one side because you know, they're there and you're entertaining all these other people that aren't really friends and you know, it, it, I'm sure there's a lot of people in the same the same situation that I was in back then. Yeah. You know, people handle it differently, and I'm sure they do. But I didn't handle it good at all. Little did I know, at the whole time, I was basically throwing away everything in my life. Mm. Thankfully, I was. I, I got a second chance. I'll mm. never risk it again. Yeah, well, I think the best thing that's kind of come out, well, for me anyway, this podcast is to hear that you have turned that around from your your marriage point of view. Now, anyone who's watching on on video may notice that Jay's wearing a different attire today. It's because yesterday the the um, camera just switched off towards the end of the podcast for the last couple of minutes. We actually have to go on uh, probably another 20 minutes into this, which I'm happy enough about anyway. But um, yeah, it's just changed its clothes in case anyone was wondering, because I know there'll be a couple of people commenting in that regard. But if you're on audio, you won't notice. But I just want to say I'm delighted personally because I know you and just to see, you know, you, you seem to have a bit more, you're happier. You just seem happier. Not that you were ever not happy around me, but happy, I, I noticed it. The thing was, I was doing interviews, um, I'd done a lot of interviews that year. It was the one year, it was the year of the three sky fights and the title fight and all that. That was the year that everything went bananas, yeah. you know. Um, <clears throat> I was doing interviews and people thought I was on top of the world. I was outside. Yeah. But I was leaving that interview and probably crying my heart out, you know, or 
ringing Louise and having a row with her, which would have been my fault. I would have done something, or you know, I told her I'd take the kids at seven and I'd sit and give an interview at eight o'clock, and then I'd walk out and it was time for the kids' beds. I could take down and be arguing with her and blaming her, but it was all my fault, like you know what I mean. But mm. yeah, I looked happy on the outside, and I think that's the same with everybody who goes into them situations. They always yeah. look happy, but it's what's going on in the inside people don't realize. And at the time, again, I didn't think I was doing that wrong. I thought I was on top of the world. I was this great fella that was had everything. Yeah. And little did I know I was losing everything that mattered. But I had everything that didn't matter. Material crap that means yeah. nothing, you know? Whereas the most important thing to me, I was letting go, I was losing it. And to me that's a lesson I learned. And if I could as I said, if I can hand that on to anybody, that's the one thing I would say. Just never, ever turn your back on the family or don't listen to your family when they're telling you you're taking on too much or they're telling you they're not your friends. Mm. You think they are because they they want the best for you. They they're the ones that love you. The ones that have come onto the scene aren't. Yeah. You know? And they're there when you're winning. Exactly. I was being told all the time, they're not your friends, you think they're your friends. You've all these friends and they're not your friends. They're not your real friends. Yeah. And I was like, How was you fucking out? Cars from your friends, blah 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 blah. Again, she was wrong, I was right. <laughs> yeah. It took a long time to cop on. It should have been too long, but it wasn't, luckily, thank God. Yeah. So But now she's always right, isn't she? Always right. <laughs> Always happy wife, happy life, as they yes. say. Well, listen, when she's wrong, she's right. Okay, well, uh, listen, I think we'll leave it at that. Uh, I do want to wish you all the best in whatever you do in the rest of your career. I'm sure I'll be following closely. And um, yeah, I suppose we'll end it with a handshake. Yeah, definitely. And uh, yeah, thanks again. Thanks, Paul. Uh, thanks very much. No problem. Anyone who's uh, watching, don't forget to like the video, don't forget to subscribe if you're watching on YouTube, and if you're listening on audio, give it a five star rating and uh, a review if you want to follow Jay. He's at uh, at J underscore burn underscore boxing on Instagram. Only on Instagram, you confirmed that yesterday. Yeah. So yeah, give him a follow. And uh, if you're not following the um, podcast on Instagram and all the other social media, make sure you do at Neil and not standing. Thanks very much for watching, and we'll speak to you soon.